Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken. We are back again with another amazing episode of Amazing Business Radio. Very excited because we have not just one guest, but two guests today. We have Sarah Toms and Peter Fader, both from Wharton, uh, which is an incredible... I just like saying like Wharton and Harvard and Kellogg and Stanford. You know, when you have guests like that, it just makes me makes me look smarter. Anyway, before we get started, just a couple of reminders. If you have a story or a question, please go on any of the social media channels and you know how to find me. I'll either be at Hiken or Shep Hiken, but you know where I am. And just use the hashtag Ask Shep and I'll make sure to answer your questions either on the show or directly uh, or through one of the other social channels. And also don't forget about Be Amazing or Go Home, which is the TV show that can be found on Amazon Prime, Roku, Apple TV, uh, all types of different places, C-Suite TV, and, and even on YouTube. We're starting to put the episodes on YouTube. So be sure to tune into that. We have great interviews. Our most recent interview was with an amazing motivational speaker, John O'Leary, who has an incredible, incredible story. And I got to interview uh, the CEO of the St. Louis Blues. And should I add the Stanley Cup championship, St. Louis Blues, talking about the business of sports and how a championship win can actually impact not just the team, uh, but the entire city and area. It's just a fascinating interview. Anyway, let's get back to today's interview, Amazing Business Radio. We have Peter Fader and Sarah Toms. Let's talk about them. Sarah Toms is an executive director and co-founder of Wharton Interactive, and Peter is a professor of marketing at the Wharton Business School, and both of them co-authored the book, The Customer Centricity Playbook. So, Sarah and Peter, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thanks, Shep. So, let's go ahead and start. Quick little background. We'll let Sarah go first. Uh, give us the, you know, who are you? Real quick, little background, because you've got, I could, I could have read an entire sheet of the accolades of both of you, but then we'd be 15 minutes into the episode. But let's take a few seconds and figure out who are Sarah and Peter. Sarah, you go first. Sure. Uh, well, the too long didn't read on me is I have been in the technology field for uh, about 25 years, uh, working with many, many fascinating and interesting different industries, both as an entrepreneur myself uh, and then working in pharma. And then came to the Wharton School about six and a half years ago to lead their learning lab team, uh, which are focused on creating uh, simulations and experiential learning, really looking at how we put the learner in the driver's seat of all of the amazing thought leadership that our faculty are uh, teaching them. And uh, through that experience, saw a fantastic opportunity to really take it bigger. Um, and that is what we're doing at Wharton Interactive. We are building platforms to create interactive learning and educational experiences, often through games and simulation, but we have lots of other things going on. And um, through my experience at the Wharton School, had the just amazing, uh, just luck to find Peter Fader and have had just this incredible partnership with him. So Peter, what's your background and story? So I've been a professor here at the Wharton School for 30 something years now. Uh, so very much uh, in the ivory tower, at least it appears that way. 
uh, building lots of predictive models, trying to predict how long customers will stay with us, what will they do over that horizon, how valuable will they be, taking concepts like customer lifetime value and, and adding lots of rigor to them, creating lots of visibility for it, lots of use cases, uh, and then crossing over to industry. I had one uh, startup, a company called Zodiac, to bring a lot of these ideas of customer valuation to life. Sold that company to Nike last year, which was great, and just founded a new one, a company called Theta Equity Partners, uh, to take these same models, these same concepts, but use them more on the investor side so that we can do corporate valuation more accurately and more diagnostically from the bottom up by understanding the value of customers. So it's uh, developing models, uh, going out there and teaching people to use them and show them uh, the ways that they can be really transformative to their businesses. Wow, so both of you are uber smart uh, and you've put your brains together to write this book, The Customer Centricity Playbook. Let's, uh, you know, why did you write the book and, and, and briefly, what's it about? Because we're gonna talk about that for a bit. So to back up a step, so kind of been developing lots of models and found it actually kind of frustrating that, that companies wouldn't fully utilize them. They would dismiss them as being kind of academic or too analytical. Uh, and so I needed to find ways to get companies to wake up and say, no, this is really important. We've got to really be doing this stuff. Uh, so I actually wrote a first book uh, was the, uh, on customer centricity. It was more kind of definitional, aspirational uh, back in 2012 really trying to, to, to create this conversation. And a great way to do that isn't only writing books, but is developing simulations. So I came up with the idea for a simulation. Let's leave people to actually do this stuff, not just read and talk about it. And I immediately turned to Sarah to say, let's bring this thing to life. Uh, she did an amazing job of that. And that led directly to the new book. That's really all about action and implementation and not just about concept and definition. Right, so you're moving from strategy to tactics. So, well, let's jump into the book. Um, I guess a, a big part of that book is identifying something called CLV, which is customer lifetime value. And I've written about this before. And what's really interesting is in just this week, as I'm doing this interview and interviewed a couple of other people on completely different uh, topics, uh, this concept has come up again. And in one of my books, Amaze Every Customer Every Time, I talk about how important it is to understand the lifetime value and to let employees know about what that lifetime value is because they can make better decisions when they understand just how much their decision impacts uh, whether or not this customer is going to continue to do business with them again. So, uh, And also to give the, the same employees a sense of priority about right. which customers should we be kind of uh, amazing or defending uh, instead of just uh, going after the first one in front of us. Right. And I want to, so that's a great concept in itself and almost, I'm not going to call it a debate, but the argument is, do we uh, not pay as much attention to the customers that are apparently bringing us lower lifetime value versus higher? And obviously you've got your priority of your big customers, small customers, important customers, long-term customers. But at the end of the day, isn't it a mistake to judge a book by its cover, unless that cover has been well-worn. In other words, you've, you've read that book quite a bit, so you understand who that customer is. That's right, and sometimes companies overinvest in, in those good customers. The ones who are kind of locked in are gonna stay with you. You don't need to convince them that, that you're good to them. Uh, and, and then the flip side of that coin is there are some companies that kind of underinvest in the so-so customers. Sarah, why don't you talk about the old paradox of customer centricity? 
Totally. So I, that's exactly what I was thinking about. We have this idea in uh, marketing science of, you know, different paradoxes. And there is a paradox of customer centricity specifically, which is there are more sort of mid to low value customers out there in the marketplace to be had than your high value customers. And if you think about how you manage your customer base with respect to CLV, you need to think about managing that like you would with a financial portfolio. Your high value customers are also gonna be high risk to you in some respects where if you lose one, you're gonna be really uh, kind of uh, in trouble and you wanna make sure that you have more of those mid to low tier customers because number one, they're easier to acquire. Mm. Number two, you don't necessarily have to invest as much in them. And if they are, there is sort of this kind of easy come, easy go with them, that's all right as well. You know, so be careful with respect to how you are managing your customers and make sure that you are not firing customers. That is not what customer centricity is about. So um, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure because I almost thought I heard, um, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, discrepancy. Peter said, uh, you don't need to overinvest in these high value customers, the ones that are long term high value. Uh, but you, but you may have made a mention to, um, to, to invest in them or not to invest at the same level. So, so it's, it's different kind of investment. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it's with the high value customers, it's, it's more about kind of, um, pa playing passive, but, but kind of close defense, which is, um, just listen really carefully if there's ever uh, any indication that they're unhappy and swoop in there and fix it as opposed to following them around the store and saying, hey, would you like a glass of champagne? Like, <laughs> hey, have you, have you tried this product over here? You don't want to annoy them. Uh, they, they became good customers because of for, for kind of the right reasons, not because mm -hmm. of discounts or, or handholding. Uh, and so you, you, you don't want to uh, kind of overdo it with them. But at the same time, you really do want to be vigilant to make sure that they are getting as much value out of the relationship as they can. So we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, this is the first question I'm going to ask, and that is I'm going to take a, a playbook uh, concept from uh, the cable TV industry, which says, hey, brand new subscriber who's never worked with me before, we're going to give you this great discount, but we're not going to give it to our most valuable customers. I want to know what your opinion is on how those valuable customers might feel when they find out customers that have no relationship with the company whatsoever are getting a better deal. We'll talk about that. I'd also like to talk about, you have mentioned here is one of the points we want to cover, and this is really cool, the most common mistakes businesses make when trying to shift to the customer-centric strategy. So how you can avoid those mistakes. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Good customer service is now an expectation. Don't provide it and you'll be disrupted by a competitor who does. So, what can you do to stand out? Well, that's the focus of my latest book, The Convenience Revolution, how to create a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. The goal is to reduce friction and be convenient for your customers. So, if you're ready to take your customer service to the next level and disrupt your competitors, well, this is the book for you. To order the book, go to www.beconvenient.com. That's beconvenient.com. It's time for you to join the revolution. 
the We're back on Amazing Business Radio Talk with Sarah Toms and Peter Fader. They are the co-authors of the Customer Centricity Playbook. You can buy that book at Amazon and I'm sure also at the Wharton School Bookstore. <laughs> of course you can. All right. So uh, as we are heading into the break, uh, I threw this idea out. I receive uh, either a mailing piece or an email or some type of promotion from my cable internet provider. And it tells me about this great deal. And then I compare it to my current bill. I'm going, wow, that is a great deal. So I call them up. I go, what can I do to take advantage of this great deal? And they said, I'm sorry, this is for new customers. So I argue that they're treating a new customer better than an existing loyal customer. So what is your take on that? Well, we have a lot to say. So I'm going to get the ball rolling. Uh, number one, at the, at, the, at the highest level, it bothers me that it's all about deals, that, that so much of it is, is, is discount and pricing as opposed to how much value are we helping you derive from our offering. Uh, so that's mistake number one is, is to kind of put price front and center as opposed to here's all the good stuff. Now, maybe we're going to give different good stuff to, to those new customers to help onboard them. You wouldn't have a problem with that. Um, so if we, if we really should be looking more at kind of value rather than cost or pricing. Uh, but then, Sarah, why don't you uh, pick it up from there? Yeah, I, one of the, uh, so Pete has written a lot about this extensively and a, a great way to think about what this question is about is think about like Black Friday. So many companies put so much of their effort, you know, leading up to and during what they're going to do during that Black Friday weekend around Thanksgiving. And that really is actually from our standpoint, a lot of effort going into attracting lousy customers. Mm. And so your question really is, uh, you know, so should, co should companies be working on that or should they really be working on some of the other things that we're going to talk about in this conversation that truly will help you create a more valuable customer base? All right. So, you know, by the way, uh, the cable company tells me since it's a new customer, I say, great, well, let's just turn the service off and turn it back on again. <laughs> And of course, that's not an answer. Uh, that's one they won't go with. And until you actually push hard enough and they send you to the customer retention department, which mm -hmm. usually gets you what you want. Uh, but, you know, I always think that's so frustrating that uh, there was actually a book that was written, I read years ago. I remember picking it up that, that talked a lot about this idea of, you know, what you do to attract new customers. Don't dis... Well, I'm using the wrong word. I was going to say, don't discount the effort, but uh, just recognize that treating those new customers who have no loyalty whatsoever uh, could be detrimental to the existing customers if you take the eye off the ball. All right, let's. Can I say something along yeah, those Sarah. lines? So, we've had a lot of actually amazing conversations with a uh, a major uh, cable provider um, recently about loyalty programs specifically. And after these uh, folks came through, they actually did a full day experience with our simulation and me and Pete. We had a number of folks in the, who run the loyalty program for this provider in uh, who went through the experience. And they realized that they were doing their loyalty program all wrong. And this is something we speak a lot about in the book. Number one, loyalty programs really are about looking at your lower value, mid to lower value customers and are about extracting just a little bit more value out of them, number one. Number two, don't really start worrying about offering loyalty until you see what those customers are doing after a few pay cycles. 
So to your point, why are you front loading with all of these discounts to get the customer in the first place? Why not see who you're attracting through your marketing efforts and then start to think about how you're going to structure your loyalty programs given what they're doing with respect to the relationship with you? Yeah, I know uh, people beat up on the cable and internet industry. I personally have done a lot of work in that area. And most recently with a major provider that happens to be not too far from where you are. And uh, they're, they're an amazing company. And you're laughing at that. <laughs> like, no, no. I wonder who you're talking about. I, wonder, I won't tell you their name, but their initials are Comcast. And so it's, but I was fascinated because a few years ago, they had this major customer service debacle that put them on the map. Uh, for poor service. And that was the phone call that never ended where uh, the person was trying to disconnect. Now, since that time, they've done incredible things and, and made strides in trying to turn that around. Now, they've got uh, not just them, uh, the entire industry has a tainted reputation. But uh, last year, I was working with them and they actually had a tagline that I loved. And that was the customer experience is our best product. And now they have to prove that. And I love that when you put it out there like that, it's like, okay, show me. I'm from Missouri, the show me state. You know? so, so show me that it's working. Let's talk more about loyalty programs. Uh, you know, loyalty programs, are, are I fall, they fall into two categories. Most of the time, I believe they're marketing programs, uh, which are really uh, an incentive to get people to do more business with you. True loyalty is an emotional connection. So maybe you can talk about the difference and maybe you can talk about what it takes to drive true loyalty. Oh, it's such a good point, uh, and it's something that we make a, a, quite a big deal about. That uh, 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 you, the way that you uh, describe the difference is is right on, uh, and, and so many things. And even when people understand that, they still fall back into you know buy nine get one free, or or just other kinds of things that are transactional, that are discount oriented, and aren't necessarily fostering or enhancing that emotional connection. That goes back to my, my point about value instead of price. Uh, let, let's find out what someone's true hot buttons are. Just what, what kinds of, of needs can we help solve um, uh, and, and, and deliver that? Even if it means delivering products and services that we don't make any money on uh, as a way to demonstrate that we are a true trusted advisor, we're in it with you for the long run, mm -hmm. uh, and and you know if if we can lock you in, then you're going to buy so much stuff from us that that doing those nice things for you was well worth it. Uh, and, and and companies are just unfortunately too short term oriented, and it's what of our things can we sell them next? Uh, that's not loyalty. You know, cross selling and upselling. Not to say they're they're evil in any way, uh, but th those aren't necessarily ways to 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 really uh, create and sustain loyalty. Yeah. And at the root of what Pete's talking about there <laughs> is really recognizing the heterogeneous nature of your customer base. So also not trying to just create a one size fits all approach to your different um, higher valued offerings and recognizing, and this really to me is what customer experience is all about too. This has become a very, you know, hot and shiny topic without really getting into the minutia of what it takes to truly elevate CX in your organization. And so what Pete's talking about there is you really have to first start with understanding the heterogeneous makeup of your customer base and what might be value add for them and what you can provide to them and recognizing that it may not be a one size fits all that's going to work in the end. 
Right. By the way, uh, you're the first person ever on the show, and we've had I don't, hundreds of episodes to use the word heterogeneous. Uh, so <laughs> kudos to you. Let's talk about that. Uh, the, I believe today they call it personalization. And not all customers are the same. Uh, I love the Nike, uh, you want to call it a loyalty program, you can. But you know, Nike's loyalty program offers no true incentive to do business with them. Other than then, other than they make you feel good about doing business with them because they make you feel like they know you. Uh, and it's like, I, I just recently wrote an answer to a question somebody sent in. And I said, it's like Cheers, uh, the TV show from the 1970s and maybe even into the 80s. They, they're replaying it all the time on late night TV. And I love it because their, their song is about where everybody knows your name. Now, that's impossible, though, everybody on a completely individual basis. But what companies are doing is they're putting uh, different customers into, for lack of a better term, buckets, uh, which it sounds degrading, but it's not. OK, you're basically putting them in these groups and saying, hey, you're you're Nike would say you're our customer that buys basketball shoes. We're not going to send you anything on running shoes or uh, swimsuits or whatever. We're going to send you information that you're interested in and people feel there's that connection as a result. I think you can do the same thing based on the actual value of the customer, treating that higher end customer a little bit differently than you might the newer brand new or that middle customer. That's right. Shepard, you said that, first of all, you've just defined heterogeneity. <laughs> I know. I, that's that's a, a fancy I, I got to assume that some people listening go, what does that mean? <laughs> but, but, but it's a really good point that customers are inherently different from each other. We definitely want to put them in buckets that doing one-to-one -one marketing truly doesn't scale. I don't care how good the technology gets. Well, mo few companies will get, ever get to the point where they can really do one-to-one. -one. So we got to figure out what are the right kinds of buckets. And traditionally, the way companies do it is on the basis of demographics or easily observable characteristics. Mm -hmm. Back in the old days, that was the only way you could do it. You could only size someone up based on how they looked. But today, with the kinds of transaction data that we have and just other measurement approaches, we can start to put people in buckets based on their behavior, as you said, what kinds of things they're buying, um, and or based on their, their projected financial value. So we want to make those buckets as, as kind of tangible and actionable, relevant as possible. Uh, and we don't want to have too many of them, but we don't want to have too few. And finding that, that just right basis for segmentation is just so important to, to make all this customer centricity stuff go well. Yeah, excellent. Sarah, comment. Yeah, and along those lines, and we've had a number of questions uh, coming from the folks Pete and I have been working with, is just the uh, conclusions we jump to as human beings when we're thinking about those buckets and what might be a higher value bucket. And when I'm talking about that, you know, it, it's really driving this kind of haves and have nots. So should I assume that a larger multinational corporation is going to be a higher value prospect for me than, let's say, a smaller or midsize or a startup company? Or a richer person versus maybe uh, somebody who isn't. And actually what we're saying is, no, you need to test your hypotheses. You should not be saying just because this is so pockets that they are gonna be a higher value customer to you. Um, that's, that's where things become very problematic. And we most certainly go into a lot of the detail in the book about the problems with demographics and personas, which by the way, a lot of folks in the CX uh, field rely too heavily upon. Um, and that it's not data driven, you know, and so what we're saying is really do not look at the skin deep or 
the, the wallet deep <laughs> uh, <laughs> behaviors and, and, and uh, aspects of the, you know, these potential customers or existing customers and really go deeper and really use data to, you know, as the basis of your hypotheses. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about those most common mistakes that businesses make when trying to shift to that customer-centric strategy. The book, again, is titled The Customer Centricity Playbook, available on Amazon. Don't go away. We're coming right back after the break. It's been said that you can't improve what you don't measure. And one of the most important areas to measure is the customer experience. My friends at Service Guru have an amazing solution that quickly allows your customers to rate their experience and more importantly, rate and review your employees. On average, their platform captures 50 times more valuable and actionable feedback about your staff and business because it's at the point of interaction before your customers ever leave. All types of businesses use Service Guru to measure and improve service, including restaurants, retail stores, doctors, dentists, and more. If you have customers and you want their feedback, go to www.serviceguru.com and tell them Chef sent you. We're back on Amazing, Amazing Business, Business Radio. Radio. All right, wrapping it all up here, I want to make sure we get Chef into Hyken. some of the mistakes that businesses are making when they shift into the customer-centric strategy. And so uh, who wants to take it? Let's just get two or three. I know we have time for that. I'm going to tee it up here. Uh, you know, we, we wrote our book. We, we put out all kinds of different concepts and methods and frameworks, and we like to think thought-provoking stuff. But to tie a ribbon around it, we needed some kind of catchy idea that really would get the essence of, of everything we have in mind. Sarah, given her history as a, in the software industry, knowing so much about the, the agile movement, said, let's b literally borrow a page from the agile movement, the agile manifesto, and came up with the idea of the customer centricity manifesto. So let's go after kind of the, the, the four, not, I mean, you wanted to frame it as what are the problems? We're framing it as um, uh, what, what are the, the, the right ways to address those problems head on. So let's talk about the customer centricity manifesto. Sarah, where does that begin? Yeah, so the customer centricity manifesto can be found by your listeners if they go to customercentricitymanifesto.org. Imagine and that. <laughs> we have a website. And not just that, we have a way for folks to not just read the manifesto, but also sign up and say that they agree. Um, and where we, these, this lays out four major areas that if you're thinking about customer centricity, what you need to nail in order to truly be customer centric. So we talk about customer heterogeneity over the average customer. We talk about cross-functional uses of CLV over siloed applications. Also metrics that reflect customer equity over volume and cost obsession. And Pete's been talking a lot about that cost obsession, which is a mistake. And last but not least, clear communications with external stakeholders over misalignment and misunderstanding. So again, that's customercentricitymanifesto.org. Yep, I'm looking at it right now. Very easy uh, to understand. And, and the four thoughts that you just had are listed right there. Uh, now I know how to spell heterogeneity. Geneity. Geneity. Customer heterogeneity, cross-functional uses of the customer lifetime value, metrics that reflect 
customer equality and clear communication with external stakeholders. So, uh, you know, that great sums it up. And those are the things we should be focusing on. However, I do want to get back only because you put this in one of the talking points you wanted to cover. Tell me what you think the biggest mistake customers, I'm sorry, companies make when they want to shift into this concept. So I think we can each come up with, with many. One of them is going to come right back to that big $5 word uh, is, is, uh, is customer heterogeneity, uh, that they really are wildly different from each other. Yeah. Uh, instead of saying, let's figure out what makes the customer happy, or let's come up with a product that we're going to be able to sell to, you know, to the average customer. Um, don't celebrate averages. Celebrate differences. Uh, uh, recognize that they're so wildly different from each other that that's not a nuisance that's an opportunity. Uh, yeah. And so let's really uh, appreciate those differences, which not only means do all that segmentation thing, uh, but try to, you know, uh, you know, aim for the top instead of aim for the middle. Great. Sarah, do you have one? Yeah, mine is, uh, so really starting with building sound experiments where you are testing out what you're trying to deliver mm -hmm. um, and not thinking that, you know, you can really create an entire customer centric strategy in a day. This, this takes time, a lot of mistakes and a lot of learning along the way, but making sure that you are um, going uh, or you're, you're working on it in a way that is following a project plan and you, you have a goal. Mm, great, great. All right, we're coming down to the very, very end, and that is where I ask you the one thing question. Sarah, we're going to let you go first. What's the one thing you want to share with our audience, either uh, something to reiterate or a new nugget of information? Um, so I would say that, you know, please for sure go and look at our manifesto. The book really lays out the framework for all the different areas you need to think about from cross-functional uh, approaches to customer centricity, uh, how you engage your financial teams, your technology teams, and also really training your eye to the different acquisition, retention, and development, and what needs to be done as you overlay CLV uh, with respect to your tactics and strategies. All right. Professor Peter. So I'm going to take one of those pieces and drill down very deeply. I'm going, I want to put out the idea of CBCV. CBCV, customer-based corporate valuation. I hinted at this earlier, but one of, the, one of the things that I found is that a really effective way to get buy-in at the C-level of the, of the company isn't necessarily to start this conversation in marketing, but start it in finance. That if we can show the CFO that she can do a better job by understanding the value of the company from the customer level on up, if we can project how many customers are going to acquire, how long they're going to stay, what they're going to do over that horizon to come up with overall revenue forecasts and corporate valuation, then it makes it super easy to win over marketing and sales and operations and supply chain. Uh, so, so I've been spending a lot of time on customer-based corporate valuation. And like I said, I have this new startup, a company called ThetaEquity.com, Theta Equity Partners. Uh, and that's all we do is we, we uh, work with investors to help them see the value of their prospective or current portfolio firms from the lens of customer centricity. And it's been just a wonderful way to, to get folks involved in the conversation who ordinarily wouldn't be paying attention to this stuff. Wow. Well, I'm a big fan of everything you've been talking about and what's in the book. And again, I want to emphasize, uh, if you are trying to build that culture, you're trying to create that customer centricity in your organization, check out the customercentricitymanifesto.org. And from there, you'll learn more about the book, the Customer Centricity Playbook. 
Uh, Peter and Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time. And, and yeah, I know you're so busy. The book's exciting. What you're doing is exciting. So thank you. Thank you so much, Shep. Really appreciate talking to you. All right, everybody. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll have another interview next week. So until then, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.